Hello, and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. This is your destination for conversations with the finalists of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, as well as interviews with book lovers from across the province and territory. My guest for this episode is the author of the children's book, Beep Beep Bubby, and I'll let her introduce herself. Um, my name is Bonnie Shirk-Klein. I uh, live in Roberts Creek on the Sunshine Coast of British Columbia. I was basically a documentary filmmaker as my career. Did some writing on films, but uh, narrative. Then I had a stroke in 19. I worked for the National Film Board and mostly for Studio D, which was the amazing feminist studio, probably the only one in the world that was government funded, but no strings attached. So that was very exciting. And then in 1987, out of the blue, I had a very massive brainstem stroke. So basically I stopped making films and um, I wrote a memoir about stroke, which was my first book. And it was kind of um, something I did necessarily to kind of understand what had happened to me and what I was going through and it was very much structured like a documentary film because it had archives from the hospital and lots of interviews and stuff which I called conversations and but then I did a bunch of radio shows and basically I became a uh, advocate for disability rights and I became very interested particularly in disability art and I think it's related to all the films and stuff I did because they had to do with representation and images of who is on the screen and who isn't and who is in literature and books and who isn't. When I asked Bonnie which character from a novel or picture book she'd like to be, this is what she said. I'd like to be Bubby. <laughs> Bubby is not autobiographical. She's aspirational. <laughs> Beep Beep Bubby is written by Bonnie Sherkline and illustrated by Elizabeth Ud Pascal. It's a finalist for the 2021 Christy Harris Illustrated Children's Literature Prize. Bonnie starts this episode by talking about how the book began. Beep Beep Bubby actually began as a project when my granddaughter was diagnosed with dyslexia. And I wanted to do something with her that would get her interested in writing and reading. And in fact, when she started fantasizing this story about her bubby and a scooter, she did her first writing, her first paragraphs. It was very exciting. And I don't, I don't remember how it morphed into a book, but at some point it seemed like um, it would be an interesting book. And I, I guess part of that had to do with how people with disabilities were represented in children's books, which was basically, I'm going to be stereotypical here, but it was, they were either pathetic or very sentimental or triumph, what we call TOT, triumph over tragedy genre. And, 
it seemed to me that wasn't an accurate this depiction. So I, uh, and it also seemed to me from my experience in a scooter since 1987, that children were much more savvy than most of the children's literature, particularly about disability made them out to be. And they, they were ready for, uh, they were the audience I wanted to reach because before they got hooked into these stereotypes, you know, I found them very curious about the scooter and very open. Uh, and the girl in this story, the, the main protagonist, not atypical in terms of being kind of afraid of disability and kind of a, a little bit ashamed. So, so that's basically the evolution of BP Punk. I, I really loved the characters in the book, and it kind of starts off as this great little foursome of Bubby and the two grandchildren and uh, the dog, but then it grows into a community. So how did the characters in the book develop for you? Um, I, I, I hate to think how many drafts there were of this story and how many years, actually, from the beginning because Zoe's first drafts when we were working together were hilarious and, and quite different. Among other things, she hated her brother and wished he were a girl. Um, I don't know, I just kept paring it down and I tried to learn because this was my first children's book. I, I kind of uh, picked the brains of everyone I knew who, wrote, who had written any books I admired, um, among them the, the late, um, I'm not going to remember her name. Um, Barry, something Barry from Grandwood Books. Um, and I had a lot of help from, generous help from people who write and edit children's books. Yeah, I just kind of shaved them off. I mean, the earlier versions had the parents and, you know, people who weren't essential to the story and it just pared it down to... Uh, the ones who remain and i think the scooter gladys is a character in the story but i'm I, you know i'm particularly interested in kate the, the young girl who whose first reaction is is negative you know she's she's scared or embarrassed and she thinks her grandma won't be her grandma anymore she's that that she will be different and then it won't be any fun so I, you know, clearly part of my motivation was to confront the stereotype that disability was a tragedy or is a tragedy, you know, to, because it's matter of fact, and it's more and more true, the longer we all live, that people will be in mobility devices and people will need help. So the interdependence was a big, a big thing in my mind. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that because I, I thought that was really interesting. And I think it's something maybe I I had a moment of thinking about myself as a kid. And when you kind of see your grandparents' bodies change when you're little, it, it it's hard to really understand what's happening. And, you know, even things like seeing my grandfather's uh, dentures and thinking it was like magic that my grandpa could take his teeth out. Like, that's a very simple thing. But... I, I was really curious about that idea of, of kind of helping kids uh, see the changing bodies as we age and and wondered if you could talk a bit about that. Well, that's very interesting. That's a nice memory you have. Yeah, 
No, one of the early advices I had from people was that, you know, kids aren't interested in, in, in old people, like that the bubby could not be the protagonist and the main person in the story. So that's, um, a, you know, that helped me put the focus on the young ones. Um, yeah, the changing bodies, yeah. But in another way, I, I wanted very much to normalize the the disabilities or the you know I just wanted to make it matter of fact, like not highlight it particularly, but just make it normal, like not a big deal. Like like I never in the book uh, say why Bubby is in a scooter. I don't want to make it clinical, because people are going to be in in mobility devices for all kinds of reasons. In fact, my husband is now using a little scooter. So we're thinking of doing a sequel called Beep Beep Baba. <laughs> but I don't know what we will. And you were talking about um about representation and how kids are so much more savvy than than the I think we give them credit for, than children's literature gives them credit for. And I, I wondered what kind of advice and things you were hearing as you were starting to put together the children's books and how you kind of uh, nodded to how bright kids are and how they don't see difference maybe the same way we think they do. Mm. I think it was just, you know, X number of years of experience where I had the stroke in 87. So I've had a lot of time and I've met, you know, I've been with a lot of kids and their differences are, you know, are just, <laughs> their the reactions are just as different as kids are, right? <laughs> Interestingly, there's been a consistent gendered reaction, which is that, which is reflected in the book, which is that little boys are really interested in the gadgets and they kind of, they, they climb onto the scooter and it's, that's fairly unique to boys. <laughs> I, I think I can count on my fingers how many times, you know, a girl has been attracted to it. I don't know why that would be if it's the other toys that they play with, but it's a mission. <laughs> how did your own experiences, uh, you've kind of mentioned this a little bit, but how did your own experiences with accessibility and even with your own grandkids help uh, or impact the writing of the book? Well, I guess, I, you know, the whole thing about like the bus, the whole idea of accessibility is, is huge in my life. <laughs> and the fact that we, you know, I moved to Vancouver because it was at the time the most accessible city in Canada. And I wanted to stay in Canada, although we looked um, in California as well, because we wanted to be not in a place where snow would be keep me indoors for six months of the year as it had in Montreal, um, just because of the snow. Because <laughs> scooters don't go in the snow, especially when the snow plows pile up the curb cuts at the end of streets with mountains of snow. Um, so the fact that we have buses that have a ramp, that means I can go on any bus and get anywhere I want in Vancouver, is a huge thing. So that was a spread in the book that I love. Yeah. I also love the spread in the book with Granville Island. Like that just captures that place yeah. in such a beautiful way. <laughs> yeah. What was your experience with the illustrations? Uh, what did you think of them when you started seeing the book come together? Oh, it's interesting because I love the illustrations. 
there's a whole backstory which I won't necessarily get into, but it has to do with there are a couple um, very different philosophies on the part of publishers. And one idea is that you keep the illustrator and the author very separate. You're nodding your head, you know about this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it's like, you know, I felt like I was being told the author can't contaminate the vision of the, uh, of the illustrator. And I kind of understood that, but, but coming from filmmaking, uh, my relationship with the, say the director of photography, that's the closest analogy, was always very collaborative. It's not like I had a fixed vision of what the, what the film should look like, but I had, an, you know, I had ideas about the subject. And then it was my job uh, or my role as, as the director of a film to, to communicate that vision to, to the whole team but not to tell them what to do or where to put the camera or what lens to use or anything like that. And it just was a much more collaborative idea. And I know a lot of uh, children's writers and children's illustrators work like that. And people end up in collaborative teams for all their lives. They always work together. And it, and those books turn out just as well or as the ones where that operate by that separatist philosophy. <laughs> Uh, I've never met the illustrator. We communicated by email a lot. And uh, I, I just loved when the publisher selected her uh, and they looked a long time. I saw her website and, and I saw her artwork. She does lots of art besides children's illustrations. And I loved her style. So it was just like, yeah, that's it. That's going to go. And she just, I just feel she, she's, she made it so lighthearted that where my text can be cumbersome, because <laughs> I'm a kind of didactic person down deep, um, she, she lifted it up to a, to a whimsy and a, just a, a joyful level that I love. You mentioned a bit about, the, about your process and that there were many drafts. Was it, was it different for you? You know, you've written a memoir on your experience, and now you're kind of writing for kids. What was that that like for you, going from writing for adults to kids? Did you find it challenging, or did how did you uh, translate that experience? Well, it was a fun challenge. I mean, it was certainly different, but it was you know, it was fun. It was learning a new thing, which is always exciting. It is you know, to do a new thing is a growing. You know, so that was I miss it. <laughs> I like to do another part. I mean, the challenge of the challenge of aging, or one of the challenges of aging, is to keep keep growing. I think. Yeah. I wanted to ask about um, including Frances Willard in the book because she she oh. appears early on in uh, because Kate's reading the book about her, and then she appears at the end. Um, could you talk a little bit about Frances and and why you included her in the book? Uh, uh, yeah. That was kind of weird. I don't. I. I mean, I don't think by any orthodox children's book writing it belonged to there. I mean, that's what I meant by I couldn't be heavy-handed. Um, basically, my scooter has always. I named my scooter Gladys. Um, now I can't even remember the order of events. If if I. 
I don't know where I learned about Frances Miller. She's not like famous, famous. Um, and the fact, and where I learned that she wrote a, learned to ride a bicycle at 53 or whatever, and called her, her bike Gladys. I, I have no memory of that. But I remember Googling her and I don't know anything else about her. She could have been a, uh, <laughs> she, I can't think of a bad enough thing. But like when we Google some of our early feminists and, and they turn out to be racist or <laughs> eugenicists. <laughs> uh, could have been any of those. Um, I just, I, I guess, so I basically I made up the book. I, there's no book like the one in, the, in my book about Francis Willard that I know of. That book is made up. But I like the idea that Kate had a library book and that she wanted to share it with her grandma. And I just like, I'm really pleased with the evolution of Kate as a character who was negative about it and hesitant and evolved to appreciate both her grandma and the challenges and the joys. Um, and the way she did it, you know, the, the transformations over basically over a single day of, of um, so that she wanted to decorate the scooter and she wanted to name the scooter. And I think part of that, and I don't underline it, but I think, I hope it's obvious to people, is that she met another, a peer, who was a girl in the wheelchair who said your grandma's cool. You got that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, I think that peer thing is really important because I remember Zoe, I'm trying to remember when I, I went, would go to her daycare on my scooter and read a story or something like that. And attract, this scooter would attract a lot of attention. And I think she was always ambivalent about that. Like she wasn't proud to have a grandma on a scooter. So, so the fact that she, that Kate, who <laughs> was not Zoe, <laughs> it's hard for me to keep it straight, um, that she grows enough to, to appreciate that. And there were scenes in earlier versions where she got all riled up about access and whether there was an accessible bathroom in the park that they were all going to. And, you know, I had played with that. What did your grandkids think of the book when it came out? Oh, that? yeah, I think they loved it. <laughs> now, Kate, uh, Zoe was cool with it. Zoe is now 17. Uh, I asked her very explicitly if I could name her, mention her when I talked about the evolution of the book and her dyslexia. And she was cool with it. Her answer was, it's your book, Ruby, which was, I thought, very mature. Because um, there is a stigma, you know. Toma, who is... Uh, I have two grandsons who are a mixture of the prototype of the character Nate in the book. And Toma, the older one, who's now nine, actually took it to school and the teacher read it aloud. Because of COVID, I wasn't allowed. And one of the very sad things for me is I haven't gotten to read the book with kids except my grandkids. But the grandkids all like it. Um, I did, I think it was, was it the Jewish book festival? I got to read it to a school full of 
you know, all grades. And that was so exciting. They could answer, ask and answer questions. And some of them brought their own, own books. And they were really interested in the process of writing a book. So I, I found that interesting. More, they were more interested in that than the whole question of disability. That was like beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> but I would really like more experiences of reading it with kids. Yeah, I I hear I've heard that from so many people in this because you know, I think it's a different experience for authors sharing books with kids than it is with adults. They like you know, kids think that people who write books are rock stars and they're so <laughs> excited about it so i hope you get that experience ah, yeah that would be fun <laughs> <laughs> do you think there is another children's book you mentioned a sequel have, have you thought of doing another one or i i did actually i started with the grandson who is seven now no he's going to be nine this summer and he's on the aut autism spectrum so i don't know how long his interest will be sustained but he started dictating, and I typed a, a story that I thought was great. It was like it opened, and Kate immediately said, oh, no, <laughs> not another one. <laughs> you know, one's enough. So we'll see where, if it goes, if he's interested in I'm interested. I, you know, I kind of think it was fun. And I, you know, I, I, if I learned anything, I can then... Um, improve it <laughs> and and the illustrators interested which is excites me <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah the illustrations really are so beautiful in the book yeah she's incredible we both decided that we each other was the best thing that happened to us in 2020 thanks so much to bonnie for being on writing the coast and thanks as always to you for listening and subscribing to Writing the Coast. If you would like to learn more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, you can find lots of information on our website, bcyukonbookprizes.com. On our website, you can find information about all of the shortlisted authors, as well as details about upcoming events, like our gala viewing party. Next time on Writing the Coast, you'll hear my conversation with Michael Pryor, whose book, Burning Province is a finalist for the 2021 Dorothy Livesay Poetry Prize. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.